This week's episode is brought to you by Communicore Weekly, the musical. Seriously, guys, you have to listen to it. It's amazing. Welcome to season three. Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And for those of you who are in college, maybe you start already, but today is the first day of school over here at my job. So it was busy today. So I am tired. I was wondering where you were going with this, if there was like a special history lesson. No, no, no. I'm just saying if like George is talking at some point and all of a sudden I just nod off, I apologize ah, in advance. Like your forehead is the microphone or something? I'm sorry, oh, okay. I fell asleep, George. That's okay, we finished recording this week's episode of George Weekly. We and, did? Um, yeah, yeah. I hope yeah. it was a good episode this week. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> Much better than the one we had before, um, since since she wouldn't let me do... Well, we haven't tried Scarlett Johansson Weekly yet, have we? We haven't tried Scarlett Johansson Weekly yet. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, That's okay. Too many, too many syllables. Too many syllables. Well, yeah. should we just go to the history segment? We sh- Yeah, we should. All right, let's do that. It's time for Disney History! Even before Disney obtained the Star Wars franchise when it purchased Lucasfilm, Star Tours was one of the most popular rides at Disney theme parks. You know, before it even opened in 1987 at Disneyland, the history of the ride can actually be traced back to Disneyland's first attempt at a motion simulator ride. Back when they were uh, designing Discovery Bay for Disneyland in 1974, you know, the Imagineers proposed an attraction where guests would go on an underwater adventure with Captain Nemo. Not Nemo the fish, but Captain Nemo. (laughs) <laughs> and it would have operated on this motion-based like thing. However, you know, since the technology of the 70s wasn't advanced enough to accomplish uh, the making of that, you had 8-tracks, but you couldn't make a motion simulator. Uh, this idea was shelved until 1984. So, Tony Baxter, also known as The Mustache, had been developing an attraction idea that would eventually become Star Tours, even before Wells and Eisner came on board. Lucas, of course, was eager to develop a park attraction, and the people at Disney wanted to work with him, so it was a perfect fit. Baxter went to Ron Miller, then the president of Walt Disney Productions, to try and convince him. Miller was uncomfortable partnering with someone from outside the organization, but eventually relented. He flew himself, Marty Sklar, and Baxter up to Northern California to meet with Lucas at Ron's house, and it was there that the initial idea was first put to paper. Now, just before I mentioned the year 1984, you know what else happened in 1984, George? Oh gosh, it's a pop quiz? It's a pop quiz. Oh, oh, that was that year the Mac ad came out, right? The uh, Apple ad? Yeah, we'll go with that. Oh, okay. okay. Also, Ron Miller was ousted as the president of Disney. And <sighs> Frank Wells and Michael Eisner, RBFF, they actually joined the Disney company then after a great series of turmoil and rebellion. Kind of like the plot of Star Wars, but when you think about it. But, you know, <laughs> Wells was kind of like the Emperor, and Eisner was Vader, but they were the good version of that <laughs> stuff, not the evil. So anyway, anyway, I'm losing track. 
Same time, Tony Baxter was looking for some new heroes that would help enhance the image of Disneyland, and he thought that Wells and Eisner were just the two men to do it. So with their help, he thought he could finalize the deal with George Lucas for this brand new attraction. You know, Eisner was already friends with Lucas from his days at Paramount Pictures, so he quickly agreed to the idea. Wells followed shortly after, and uh, thus development began. Baxter found a plethora of inspiration to draw upon from the Star Wars universe. He was quoted as once saying, We were fortunate to have such an imaginative mythology to work with. It made the challenge of expanding it to three dimensions a very exciting and rewarding experience. In some ways, we actually had more creative freedom than you would with a feature film. Now that they had the ball rolling, even though it wasn't an indie attraction, for this uh -huh. new attraction, uh, they needed a place to put it, obviously. Disneyland was actually looking to replace Adventure Through Inner Space, which had opened in 1967, but by the early 80s, it was extremely dated, so it was decided that it had to go. So, Adventure Through Inner Space closed on September 2nd, 1985, and plans were formulated to fit Star Tours in its place. Now, though the actual plot for the new attraction wasn't entirely fleshed out at that point, Imagineers kind of blocked out the basic idea of the physical setup of the show itself to kind of get a head start on things. So the physical plans for Star Tours had to accommodate a new queue, a pre-shoe, a pre-show. Well, I mean, pre-shoes. Pre yeah, you know, you might have to wear a separate shoe. Before Are those like sandals? Well, sand shoes. Sand shoes. We'll go with that. We'll Fair go enough. with that. Okay. So, okay. So, in addition to a pre-shoe, a pre-show, four simulators, and an exit area, and all of it had to fit into the same place that it, uh, the same space that Adventures Through Inner Space took up. Uh, it wasn't an easy task for Imagineers. Kind of like it's not easy for you to see pre-show? No, not at all. Pre-show. <laughs> <sighs> but they somehow managed to squeeze it all in. I do want an award next year for the most innovative use of the pronunciation of pre-show. Fair enough. Okay. All right, so they squeezed this, all of Star Tours in there in the uh, Adventures Through Space building. All right, moving on. Design work, of course, was well underway by mid-1985 with a projected November 1986 opening. And we'll pause a minute for everybody to giggle and laugh because we know it didn't happen. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> in 1985, Tony Baxter and Walt Disney Imagineering show producer Tom Fitzgerald joined Lucas and a small group of industrial light and magic designers at a story session at their Northern California headquarters. George Lucas came up with the idea of the rookie pilot, who turned out to be Rex. Rex began as a cosmic bus driver, uh, a counterpart, so to speak, to the wisecracking Jungle Cruise guides at Disneyland. By the next morning, they had the first draft of a concept for Star Tours. Star Tours itself would feature scenic tours of the universe aboard the Star Speeder 3000, operated by the first intergalactic tour bus company. Now, R2-D2 and C-3PO would be part of the package, having resigned from military service to find new lives as Star Tours recruiters and tour guides. Now, during the design of the film, the original ride video was estimated to be about 20 minutes long. Wow. That is insane, people. 20 minutes. This would have <laughs> obviously resulted in massive wait times, so it was reduced to about four minutes long instead. Jeez. Okay, so in, in addition, originally the RX-24 pilot droid was actually going to be much more psychotic. Uh, given that they wanted to give guests a somewhat thrilling ride through the Star Wars universe, Imagineers proposed that this new character be called Crazy Harry and modeled after a burned-out Vietnam veteran type of character. And I'm just going to pause to shake my head for a second. 
Okay, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> that way, when the character did crazy things that put the guests in danger unintentionally, it could be blamed on his horrible experiences that he'd been through in the Galactic Civil War. Of course, this was deemed insensitive because, <laughs> duh, it is. It's very, very insensitive. So instead, RX-24 was reprogrammed to be a rookie pilot because Rex was meant to be eager and inexperienced, not scary or crazy or insensitive to our soldiers. You know, they had to make it good. So cast as the voice of Rex was none other than Pee Wee Herman himself, Paul Rubens. <clears throat> Excuse me while I lean away from the microphone for a second. I'm trying to record a podcast! Good? Yeah, there goes our budget for the year. There we go. Anyway, meanwhile, the model shop was busy making the sets uh, ready for actual shooting of the film itself with help from Industrial Light and Magic. And what gorgeous sets they were. They, they were just absolutely breathtaking. Mm -hmm. Star Tours was shot on 70mm film at 30 frames per second for clear, flicker-free images. And the film and special effects cost $6 million from Industrial Light and Magic. Walt Disney Imagineering uh, actually built full-size props along with the attraction animatronics and the supporting cast. Meanwhile, uh, back at Disneyland, Imagineering was having problems because the roof of the show building needed to be unexpectedly raised for the simulator's motion. So while construction was being made to lift the roof, it was discovered that the building itself needed serious reconstruction. In addition, the simulators were proving to be difficult to synchronize to the audio tracks. In order to synchronize the audio to the simulators, Walt Disney Imagineering programmers used a joystick to synchronize the movements of the motion base with the action of the film. The motion simulator itself uses, uh, utilizes a hydraulic motion base cabin patented as Advanced Technology Leisure Application Simulator, or ATLAS for short, which features several degrees of freedom, including the ability to move 35 degrees in the X, Y, Z, Plane. Because of all of that reworking, the ride music actually had to be changed also, costing uh, $100,000. And then after all that work inside the building, the facade actually needed some upgrading. So all this led to costs rising to about uh, $30 million. And it really wasn't long after that that they ran over the budget to $33 million. And eventually they had to push back the opening date for the attraction. Like we said, haha, 1986, <laughs> that's not happening. But actually by June of 1986, a kind of rough version of Star Tours was previewed by 2,000 Disney employees and their families, and the reaction was phenomenal. Because the ride took place after the events of Return of the Jedi, it kind of gave the audiences a taste of what happened after the final good film. <laughs> I noticed your choice of words there. So uh, remember those 24-hour parties that Disney has thrown recently? Pepperidge well, Farm remembers. <laughs> so when Star Tours finally opened uh, in Disneyland on January 9th, 1987, a few months, of course, before the 10th anniversary of the original film, Disneyland was open for 60 hours straight. Nope. Going home, take a nap. <laughs> well, that was the point. Yeah. You could take a nap, come back, do whatever you want to. Okay. So the ride was such a smash hit so much that plans were announced uh, for a version of Star Tours to be built in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. However, Eisner thought a better fit would be at the new Disney MGM Studios, so it opened there in December of 1989. This version had six simulators instead of the four that, at Disneyland. Uh, every version of the ride that opened after that would follow a similar suit. 
Now, though the ride is amazing, over the years it began to kind of, you know, show its age because it was getting old. So, it was announced in 2005 by George Lucas, George Lucas himself that a new version of the ride was in production. And though it didn't actually open in 2011, it was totally worth the wait. This new version, called Star Tours The Adventures Continue, was actually a prequel to the original ride, taking place between Episode 3, Revenge of the Terrible Movies, and Episode 4, A New Hope. <laughs> What? Nothing. Nothing at all. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're we're good. Moving on. I am I am DB. That's the right name. Yes. Yes. You're you're fine. You're okay. Fine. Good. Just making sure we're all on the same page. <laughs> okay. So the updated ride system would consist of high definition video, a Dolby 3D high definition screen, an improved motion simulator, as well as several other newly added special effects. And instead of one film, there are now eleven random segments of the film. Two opening segments three primary destination segments, three hologram message segments, and three ending destination segments. When combined, they allow for 54 different possible ride experiences. Now, because Star Tours is technically uh, part of the official canon of the Star Wars universe, they actually have an official document about the history of the Star Tours company itself, so they didn't conflict with any of the established Star Wars lore. And so, next episode, we'll talk about the history of the actual Star Tours company that has been sending people into space and into harm's way for many, many years, mostly because of Rex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can remember my first trip on the Star Speeder 3000 back, way back in the day, and I think my wife and I rode it like six times in a row because it was one of those uh, surprise mornings that yeah. at the Disney MGM Studios. Like, surprise, you're actually at this park surprise morning, or... <laughs> no? Exactly. Oh, okay. Exactly. So it was always one of my fondest memories of one of those early visits. And uh, we'd love to hear what you think about Star Tours or the history of Lucasfilm and Disney together. Call us on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. That's 424-785-GOAT. And tell us what you think about Star Tours. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. The Magic of Disneyland and Walt Disney World by Valerie Childs, published in 1979. So this book is one that a lot of people cherish, and was probably the first Disney-related book that a lot of people bought at Disneyland or Walt Disney World. Um, you know, after one of their vacations. It's one of those books that offers so many photos of Disneyland and Walt Disney World that it's just a treasure trove of late 1970s goodness, which does include polyester. Lots yes. Of polyester. I love polyester. Um, <laughs> so the, the first few pages of the book are dedicated to a pretty simple corporate history leading up to the opening and first few years of Walt Disney World. There's a heavy focus on animation, and it's it's a pretty general history. Most Disney fans will skip over it since they will know most of it, or at least they should. If they're good cadets, they will know all of well, it. Well, if they're good so, cadets, they'll want to read the whole thing. Uh, they will, that's so true. Think? That's true. Just to check it for mistakes. That's right. Yes. Okay. Fact checking. Fact checking. <laughs> Dear editor, I found a mistake in your 1979 book. That sounded like the letter I wrote the other day. What? It actually physically sounded like that? No, no. But anyways, no. okay. All right, so uh, unfortunately, there's no pagination to the book, meaning there are no page numbers. Pagination. Yeah. <laughs> no. 
but no. What all. is wrong with me today? Stop talking, <laughs> Jeff. Let him get through his book review. I have to let him just just mute yourself, please. Um, but so since there's since there are no page numbers, uh, I'm going to guess that there's about 100 pages with at least 95 pages of full color photographs from the mid to late 1970s. Basically. This is a semi-random book of photographs that are charming, nostalgic, and completely unlike the Disney parks that we see today. And throughout the review, I'll just use the term generic, uh, the generic term parks to refer to both Disneyland and the entire Walt Disney World Resort from that time period. Okay, so besides waxing nostalgic about a time when a Disney vacation was so much simpler, this book is a great time capsule of both parks. It's one which in which you'll scour the photos looking for any little detail from years past. Uh, I use the book a lot to try and identify when an attraction you know might have open uh, might have been open, or to use an image for an article, or just to daydream. And Jeff, in post production, you could put like a yeah, perfect. Thank you. Um, well, one of one of the funnest things uh, to do with the book is figuring out whether the photo is from Disneyland or the Magic Kingdom. Kind of like Escape from Tomorrow. <laughs> Off the rails on a crazy train. <laughs> um, Sorry, go on. <laughs> I'm not lying, though. It's the same thing. No, that's true. That, that was a horrible film, but that's okay. So sometimes, you know, you'll look at the photo and it's obvious. And you can tell from the Skyway Station, from Skull Rock or Tomorrowland, you know, the train station there, that it's Disneyland. And sometimes it takes a little of investigating like trying to make out the name of the Jungle Cruise launch from a photo and you have to magnify it and, well, never mind. Enhance. Um, enhance. Enhance. Okay, how many movie references have we made in this podcast? I don't know. Just stop me. Okay, yeah, I'll try. Okay, well, there are a lot of great photos of kids interacting with the characters, including some we don't really see any longer, uh, include the kids and the characters. I haven't seen a lot of those kids in the parks anywhere lately. I've never seen those kids ever. It's just kind of weird so most okay. of those kids were probably there from before i was even born <laughs> yeah 1979 yeah i was it's, definitely it's... not born yet okay now the the book has some amazing full spread photos of both parks which are breathtaking uh one of my favorites is a nighttime photo of the admiral joe fowler docked at the steamboat landing at the magic kingdom uh, you can see the queue for the mike fink keel boats and the building is lit beautifully and there are so many other amazing photos like that in the book uh, it really is worth buying this book just to flip through it and daydream about the photos and add that effect there. You actually posted a picture of it on Facebook the other day, and I said to myself, yeah. Self, I don't own this book. So I went on Amazon and I ordered it for like, I don't know, a dollar. That's awesome. Shipping costs more money than one Heimbach. One singular Heimbach. And one then $3.99 Heimbachs in shipping. <laughs> <laughs> but it was totally is, worth it. Which is three little Heimbucks that wrap the book up for you. And, yes. Okay, anyway. Um, this was going to be a short review. But I don't shut up ever. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's really hard to say more than just this is a great book of photos from the light, late 1970s that will either bring you back to a long ago vacation or just let you marvel at the parks that we can no longer see or visit unless you go to our Facebook pages. Or you can go see Marvel in the parks at Disneyland. Oh, you can. That's right. Marvel Synergy can be there talk. soon. There we go. Um, it, it really is a book that you'll just pull off the shelves frequently just to spend some time with, you know, visiting the parks of the past or something like that. Uh, this week's book was The Magic of Disneyland and Walt Disney World by Valerie Childs. 
Sometimes it's a one. Sometimes it's a two. When you gotta go, what you gonna do? It's a bathroom break. A bathroom break. So we haven't done a bathroom break in quite a while and realized that, yes, we've both used the restrooms uh, at the Carthay Circle restaurant up there on the second floor. It, not at the same time. No, no, no. Because We've weird. done that before. Also, by the way, you're technically, for your health, supposed to have a bathroom break like every day. That's true. So, sorry. Well, I was saving them for special occasions. Oh, okay. Maybe. That's very weird. I'm not sure. But anyway, so we're talking about the Carthay Circle restaurant. Uh, we got to eat there on the Communitor, which was awesome. And you guys really should have been there. It was fantastic. Yep. Um, but the last night, the dinner at the Carthay Circle, I was like, oh, need to check out the restrooms. And uh, unlike the Club 33 restrooms, which actually were painted red, weren't they? Yeah. 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 So they were like the Club 33 restrooms, except they were a lot more modern. Uh, you walk into the men's restroom, because I don't know anything about the female's restroom. I was hoping you were walking into the uh, men's restroom. Exactly. And it's vibrantly dark red, which yeah. is hard to explain. It's even with the lights on, it's like, whoa, it's dark in here because it's so red. <laughs> it's so red. And there are. You got uh, some red on you. <laughs> there are a couple of odd photos hanging on the walls of celebrities that are having a good time so it's like they're laughing at Party you right in the, the bathroom and and the one in the men's restroom it's a, a woman with a man on either side and i can't remember who it was and i know some of our cadets will know and will be able to tell us but it was kind of weird to stand there and they laugh at you while you go to the bathroom essentially that's that's what happened but it's a very nice restroom it's mm -hmm. nice and spacious uh again very red very regal looking because it's very <laughs> fancy uh, yeah. at, at the Carthay Circle restaurant. So uh, here's the thing, though. The restrooms are only located on the second floor. They don't have restrooms on the first floor. So you have to do have to make the trek up the stairs if you want to. And, yeah. and if you're not eating at the restaurant, go ahead and use them. That's fine. And if you want, just take take a lap around the restaurant. Just take, take a look at things because it is pretty nice in there. It is. It's a great experience. So uh, I'm going to give this restroom uh, five Communicore weekly red walls up i don't even know what i'm saying anymore it's good to me i don't even know anyway good bathroom check it out sometimes you might see it sometimes you don't hey look what's that it's a five-legged goat Like we mentioned in the history segment, Star Tours at Disneyland opened on January 9th, 1987. Now, on the front side of the suitcase tube, I'm doing quotation fingers there, you guys can't see it because this is an audio <laughs> podcast, not a video podcast, but the suitcase tube behind the droid G290, you know, the guy who's like, take a picture, it'll last longer, that guy, is the number 109.87, which of course is a reference to the attraction's opening day very also it could be a radio station that's what i was saying it was a radio station or a very high temperature it was his temperature which may not be high for a droid actually for a droid that's probably pretty normal yeah depending on or that's the viscosity of the oil that he needs hey that could work also man, man there's all sorts of explanations for this 109.87 yeah i still think it's 109.87 the monster or something the like monster that. I don't know. The, the, I was coming to think of something. Troy Talk Radio. Oh, Troy oh, Talk oh. Radio. Troy Talk. Thank you for calling Troy Talk. <laughs> I'm your host, K9789020. 
I really think we need to end the show now. I'm pretty sure I'm delirious. Yeah, especially when we start putting hidden references to other things that nobody will get. Exactly. But us. But that's okay. That's okay. Well, anyway, guys, thank you so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly. Please leave us a comment. Rate us on iTunes. Don't judge us by this episode alone, because clearly something is wrong with us this episode. Is it a full moon? Actually, it might be a full moon. Might be a full moon. Probably. I'm blaming on Uh, that. Email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com and tell us how much you still love this episode, even though it was kind of off the rails. <laughs> we need that support, that love. Yes. So. I always need to be uh, validated. I need I need to have some validation. <laughs> nice shirt. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly. I'm surprised I haven't run out of steam yet with all the themed days. It's great. So come join us for all the, the fun. Well, you could start Steamy Saturday then. Oh, stop giving me ideas! Ah, okay, well, stop interrupting my book segment. Stop interrupting what I'm interrupting! <laughs> Do it that way. Okay, so follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, give us a call on the Communico Weekly Goat Line at 424 785 4628. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget, you can grab a copy of Communicore Weekly, the musical. On CD Baby, iTunes, Amazon, or listen for free on Spotify. Heck yes. And of course, get your Communicore Weekly swag at the Communicore Weekly web store at CommunicoreWeekly.com. Click on the store button. All sorts of cool stuff for you to get. Lots of great t-shirts. Yes, mostly t-shirts. Okay. For Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening to our nonsense nonsense this week. I can't even see nonsense correctly. Definitely time (laughs) for us to end the show. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest and most rambling online show. (laughs) Pietti.